Wow, this is a special time. And I really expect that this weekend will be very special. Uh, I'm personally very happy to be here. This time, there's three of us brothers that are going to be laboring together. And at the same time, this weekend, you know, we have a conference at En Gedi. All the high school brothers are there. But even more than that, we have, uh, there's a big conference going on in Chicago this weekend. And that is a very crucial conference. And uh, a lot of us are uh, very, very burdened and, and uh, interested in that time there. And we expect that what the Lord will be doing there will be the same thing that he wants to do here. And what he will speak in it at Engedi. I believe it's all the same. We're all in one spirit. And we're all together in one body. And what's happening there is happening here. You're not missing out on anything. And neither am I. Well, because so many of our young people went to Engedi, our number this time is going to be a little lower than last time. I think ultimately, after everybody gets here, we should have about 210 to 220. I hope so. That means all the chairs will be full, including the stage. So that's how I know how many people are not here yet. Anyway, we'll get started. This time, we are taking a little bit of a break from the series we started a year ago. For those of you that come every time, we began last summer, or Labor Day weekend, on a series on Exodus, the uh, Exodus out of Egypt. Do you remember that? And then in the spring, we had the, uh, God's provision for God's people in the wilderness, eating and drinking in the wilderness. I believe that time was quite special. But this time, and it's because of what is going on in Chicago and what's going on, actually, what we were covering when we were in Europe this summer is the same kind of material. And because of the intensity of that kind of fellowship, we felt it would be best to just stay on this and continue to labor on this subject. The subject is the men who turn the age. Brothers, brothers two brothers, so I can say brothers and sisters. Mostly it's just sisters. we got a few brothers here. Anyway, dear saints, we live at the most privileged time. There's never been a time like this. And I hope that through this weekend, all of our eyes will be opened to see where we are and what God would like to do. I think the, uh, this time we're going to be... Uh, uh, looking at the example of Daniel from the book of Daniel. We're going to examine six chapters uh, in four meetings. We'll tell, kind of tell the story of Daniel. And we'll apply it to ourselves. And through the application, I think every one of us will be quite touched at such a view of a person like that. Um, <clears throat> how should we start? Well, let's begin... Uh, is this on a little too loud? It's okay. Uh, let's begin by turning to our verse sheet and let's read Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Oh, you want me to be louder? Okay. We could turn the fans off. It's a warm weekend. Okay, we're going to read Revelation 12.10. Okay? You have it? Let's read it together. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers has been cast down. He accuses them before our God day and night. This is a glorious verse. The accuser of our brothers has been cast down. 
That's a good day. That is a real good day. This day. Let's enjoy this verse a little bit. Just enjoy it with your neighbors, okay? And I heard a loud voice. A loud voice. Not a whimper. In heaven. Now. Now has come. Okay, good, good. Now has come. Now has come. Do you know what that word now means? That means something changed. Now it's this way. It used to be that way, but now it's new. Before the accuser of the brethren was there accusing, but now he's cast down. Something changed. Something happened. It's wonderful. Let's read the title of this uh, message tonight. And then uh, we'll, we'll get started. Okay? Ready, go. Having dispensational value to God in, in the last days to turn. Having dispensational value to God in the last days to turn the age. This, this expression, in the last days, is taken from Daniel chapter 2. Tomorrow we're going to see the vision in Daniel chapter 2 of a great image. This was a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and then he forgot about the dream. And when Daniel came in to interpret the dream, actually to tell, remind him of his dream, and then tell him what it meant, Daniel told him, this dream is about the last days. What will happen in the last days? Sisters, this conference is about the last days. And in the last days, there are some things that are very important to know. And this conference will guide us in how to be in the last days. So that's where the phrase, let me just dissect this title a little bit. There's another phrase, having dispensational value to God. In the last days, there are some people who are precious to the Lord. They have value to him. In fact, they are used by him in a particular way. We will see in the story of Daniel what it means to have dispensational value to God. And we will see, as we, as we are today, living in the last days, how we should be. What kind of people become valuable to God in the last days. And the last phrase, to turn the age. Okay, this is what this, is what this conference is about. It's about people who have dispensational value to God in the last days, and because of them, not because of God, but because of them, the age is turned. Wouldn't you like to know this? I really like this. I feel like this is worth millions of dollars. You couldn't sell this at a price high enough. It is too valuable. This, this fellowship that we will have this weekend is too critical. And it's too critical, especially for young people. Because the young people, the ones that are young today, will be those critical, useful, dispensational instruments 
used by God in the last days to turn the age. Okay? Now let's begin. Let's read uh, Re uh, Roman 1 together, and I will also comment. Ready, go. Every time God wants to make a dispensational move, an age-turning move, he must have a dispensational we must be those who have dispensational value to God. Every time God wants to make a dispensational move, an age-turning move, he must obtain his dispensational instrument. We, you and me, must be those who have dispensational value to God in the last days to turn the age. Now, I'm a, I'm a little concerned that maybe we've heard this kind of expression, dispensational instrument. Maybe we've heard the expression dispensational value. But I would like to describe for you a little bit and spend a little time to define this for you. I think it might be helpful for you to see a little bit of history and how through the Bible there were dispensational instruments used by God at critical times to turn the age, to bring in another age. And so what I'm going to do is put a, a timeline on the board and this timeline is going to be divided into three sections. Not to, uh, you know... Uh, not accurate. This is, uh, you'll see this is, the, uh, this is the Old Testament time, this is the New Testament time, and this is the kingdom time. Okay? Three major dispensations. That's what we mean by dispensation. The Old Testament time was actually made up of several dispensations, but these are the big ones. And then the New Testament. This is also known as the age of grace, the age of the church, and also is the age of mystery. And we'll find out tomorrow why it's called the age of mystery. This is, uh, during this uh, Old Testament time, there was two major sections. One is the age of the patriarchs, uh, the patriarchs, that's uh, the uh, Adam, you know, Abel, Enosh, you know, those guys, Enoch, all the guys up to Abraham. And then you have the, and this is also the uh, created race, and then you have the called race, when God called Abraham. If you were with us during the Line of Life series, Maybe some of you older ones, seniors, may remember we, when we were on Abraham. I don't know how long ago we were on Abraham. It was the called race. And that, is this, the, this is not the dispensation of law, because there's a period of time before the law came. Anyway, then you have the dispensation of law. You have several, several dispensations in there. And I, uh, some people teach that there's, sorry, the people on, down, the, down the aisles here can't see too well. Let me just turn real quick so you get a little snapshot. See that? Sorry. I'll turn it back. For you back there, do you see it? You got a, a view? You see what's going on here? This is, maybe this is the beginning. And here's the New Testament. Now John the Baptist came here. Now John the Baptist was used by God as a forerunner of Christ. When Christ came, the age was really turned from the Old Testament, from the age of the law to the age of grace, to the New Testament age. That was a major turn. Then the church age began, you know, 30 years later, after Christ died and resurrected and ascended. Okay, now... Throughout all of these stages, every time 
God made a move, a change in the age. There was always a man. There was always a person that had been gained by God that was used by God to bring in the new age. For example, you have Abraham right here. This is going to get messy. Abraham, okay? Here you have John the Baptist. There's one, one uh, age that turned right in here I want to talk to you about as a, as a good illustration. And this illustration is the, at the time of Noah. Do you know the story of Noah? When we were on the line of life, we were on Noah too. That was quite a long time ago. On Noah, at the time of Noah, the age had become extremely dark. Violence. The earth was filled with violence and the earth was filled with immorality. All kinds of immorality. Even the angels were committing fornication with human women. The fallen, rebellious angels of Satan that had followed Satan in his rebellion and produced children through this kind of illegal marriage. And these children that were produced by them were referred to in the Bible as Nephilim. These were giants. And that's why the Bible has these giants, like Goliath, like uh, Sihon, I think, and uh, King of, uh, uh, Og, King of, and Sihon. Yeah, these guys were, they were huge. And they were the mingling of evil spirits with humanity. Satan's plot was to ruin the human race, defile it so that Christ could never come. Christ would never be born of such a mixture as that. So if, if he could get humanity mixed up early on, then after a few centuries, everybody has this kind of demonic blood in their system. And then Christ could never come as the seed of the woman. So there was a need for a change in the age. There was a desperate need. God needed a new start, a new beginning. And the Bible tells us, but Noah found grace in the eyes of God, in the eyes of Jehovah. But Noah. He had this phrase, but Noah. The whole age is going like this. But Noah. He's an anti-testimony. He's different. He is standing there and became a dispensational instrument to God. And Noah, because of who he was, he had dispensational value to God. Now what, what God did is he appeared to Noah and he gave Noah a blueprint of the ark. How to build the ark, the dimensions, 300 cubits by 50 cubits, three stories high, one window at the top, one door on the side, put all the animals in. That's it. It never rained before. Noah obeyed God and labored according to that vision for 120 years he built that ark. And so that's what he did. And after the ark was built, he went into the ark, and God shut the door, and then the flood came. This is the crucial thing we should understand with this story. You've heard the story a bunch. You've heard it a lot. But the crucial point is this is that God could not send the flood until the ark was built. God could not build the ark from heaven. God needed a man on the earth that would work together with him to do something for him that had dispensational value to him to end that age. And so Noah, receiving the vision... He labored for 120 years to uh, carry out the vision. And when he did, he went into the ark, the flood came, and the age was over. Now, you have to know this, young people. On the earth at that time, Noah was not the only godly man. There were probably a lot of godly men. Good men, proper people, even though the Bible says the earth was filled with violence, 
they all had the same forefathers. They all had Adam, Abel, Enosh, Enoch, Lamech, Methuselah. All of these, well, not all of them, well, all of them go back to Adam, but they all came out of the same source, and they had the same teaching, the same forefathers, as did Noah. Noah was particular. There's no doubt about it. The thing that we have to understand is that while there may be a lot of good people on the earth at that time, they did not have dispensational value to God. Only the ones building the ark had value to God because they became the ones through whom he could turn that age. And so if you were living at the time of Noah, you could be a really good Christian, a really good Christian, a really good sister, function in all the meetings, read your Bible, behave yourself at school, and do everything right. But if you were not in the ark, you were not building the ark, and did not get into the ark, you were like everybody else. It's serious, isn't it? The question then is this, who is Noah? today and where is the ark so I can build it and I can get into it right so young people this is a, a fellowship to you so you can realize that at the end of this age there is something going on in this, on this earth like an ark that is being built. And while this ark is being built, you have to find your way into that ark. You have to pay any price. You have to go to any extent. You have to do anything to become part of that ark building and ark entering work. Right? Otherwise, what happens? The flood is coming. And you know, the Bible says that as in the days of Noah, so it will be uh, at the coming of the Son of Man. Just like the Lord Jesus, when he talked about his coming, he compared it to that age and to that time. Brothers and sisters, we live at that time. We have to have our eyes opened to see we live at a critical juncture in human history. Why you were born at the time you were born, I don't know why. This was God's sovereignty. Why I was born when I was born. It's God's sovereignty, God's arrangement. What a gift to me. What a blessing to me to live at this time, to be watching these things take place. Unbelievable. We have to see, hopefully, the Lord will really show us, this is the most privileged time. Every apostle, every patriarch, every king, every person that ever loved God would have done anything to be here now and to be part of this. At every age turning, um, at every, well, that point says this. Oh, did we read Roman 2 already? Let's read Roman 2. God's work in turning the age is always done through men. We won't have time to go look at Samuel this, this uh, weekend, but we will look at Daniel. What this point tells us is that right before, right before the Lord wants to do something to turn the age, there are people at this juncture 
that are so useful to him, and they become this kind of instrument that he could use. Sisters, we live right here. This is where we are. We are right at the verge of the greatest dispensational change. Greatest. You think, well, what about the Old Testament to the New Testament? That was great, but this is greater. This is the greatest dispensational change because you know why? Why would this be greater than that? It's because when, when this happens, this means that God's eternal purpose was carried out. It was fulfilled. He did get his image. He does have his dominion. His kingdom does come to the earth. Wow. Imagine. I just, I just thought, how can I sign up for this? Is there some list I can get on? Is there some uh, website I can go to and register for age-turning dispensational instrument? How do I join this club? How do I enter into this secret society of persons used by God to end one age and bring into another age? Sisters, I don't know how we got here. We're not here because we're that great. You know, I mean, look at yourself, look at me. We're not special, we're not that great. We're fallen people. We're not proud either. We're not proud. I don't wanna tell you, say this in a light way, uh, but I, I grew up in, in Christianity. I went to Sunday school, I went to youth groups, I, all the way up until when I was 18 is when I came to the Lord's recovery. And I have a lot of relatives that are now in the denominations in Christianity. I know what I'm talking about. They have no concept about this. Do you know what the thought is about this? They teach about Jesus coming. Maybe some of you have read those phony books, you know, Left Behind, you know, the Left Behind series? Or maybe you got the movie because you don't like to read. It's all stupid. It is stupid. You know, what, you know what the basic thought is among Christians today? Is that there is a calendar in heaven somewhere that God the Father has set the date when Jesus comes back. It's, in, the, in fact, Christ said this in Matthew. He said, I don't know the date, only the Father knows it. So it's like the Father is keep, the, God the Father is keeping a secret from God the Son as to when God the Son will come back. And he goes, okay, it's um, September 4th, go! So he goes, okay, and here he comes. It's like this magical day, and, and so all the Christians are, oh, come, you know, when is Jesus coming? And they try to uh, study the prophecies, they try to figure it out, when will Christ come? They have no thought. Most Christians have no thought that what decides his coming back is us. It's men. It's people on the earth will determine when the Lord returns. It's not determined as an arbitrary or random date marked in heaven when Christ will come back. His coming is going to be when the ark is built. Then he comes. In fact, he said this. In Matthew 24, 14, he said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole inhabited earth for a testimony, and then the end will come. That means people on the earth have to go to the whole inhabited earth to preach the gospel of the kingdom to them then the end will come. So we can speed this up or we can slow this down. Imagine, 
The Lord has been waiting already 2,000 years for the church to be built, for the bride to be prepared to come back. We live at the most privileged time. And you know what, saints? We can do the most for God. We are so honored. God's work in turning the age is always done through men. Before a new age is ushered in, there's always men in the previous age. Okay, we got that. Because men used by God in one age often become fallen and fail to reach his goal, God is forced to turn the age, to have a new start, so that he can do what he wants to do in a new age. Samuel turned the age of of the priesthood to the age of the kingship, whereas Daniel turned the age of captivity to the age of return. In both of these cases, Samuel and Daniel God had a particular need. There was a great problem because of the failure of his people. God lost his testimony. He lost his expression on the earth and he lost his kingdom. His dominion on the earth was gone. And because of this kind of need on the earth, Samuel rose up as a Nazarite, as an age turner, to stand in the gap for God to meet God's need. You can hardly imagine that there could be this kind of a situation where God has a need. He is almighty. He's the creator of the universe. All he has to do is say it, and it comes into being. Why doesn't he just say it? Bride! Because there's no shame to the enemy if he says bride, and the bride is... But if he takes the fallen ones, the sinful ones, the ones that were damaged by the fall ruined by Satan, and he builds them into a beautiful bride that matches him, then he can point to them and he could tell Satan, look, look what I've done. With what you did, they will now defeat you. And that will turn the age. Do you know there's a time coming at the end of this age when the Lord gains his overcomers, they will be raptured to the throne of God. Not to the air, not to the clouds. They will be raptured to the throne of God. They are the bride. They are the bride. And they will be raptured to the throne. Do you know what happens when they get there? War in heaven breaks out. War in heaven. Satan and his angels, and Michael and his angels. And then you know what happens? Satan is cast out. He is cast out. So you know what happens? These overcomers, this dispensational instrument, does that. They go, they defeat the enemy on the earth, and then they go to the heaven, and they defeat him there, and they throw him out. And then they chase him back to the earth and they defeat him again on the earth. Oh man, I want to be there. I I, I just want to do this so bad. How do I sign up? Sign me up. Is there anything on this earth worth missing that for? I mean, a million dollars? A hundred million dollars? Get out of here. There is nothing worth that. What God is after, and what we have to see is this. From the beginning, from Genesis, we should read this verse. I think it's on our verse sheet. Yeah, turn to your verse sheet. We should read another verse. Genesis 1.26. It's one of our favorite verses from every conference. You should memorize it. You should have it memorized by now. Let's read it together. And God said, Let us make man in our image 
according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the cats of heaven, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Okay, this verse is a crucial verse because it's in Genesis chapter 1, at the beginning of the Bible. What was on God's heart when he created man was these two words, image and dominion. Image because God wants to be expressed. Image because God's glory needs expression. And dominion because Satan is there as an opposer, adversary of God that needs to be defeated. This is why there is these two basic needs. One is very positive, image for God's expression and God's glory. Dominion for God's authority on the earth. God's kingdom on the earth. Okay? And throughout all of, all of this, all the ages were turned because of the failure of mankind in these two things. Adam fell right away. And eventually that age was given up because God's image was lost and he, there was no dominion on the earth, no, no uh, uh, representation of God's dominion on the earth at all. So then a new age came in. God got Abraham. And with God, with Abraham, God got a man that was opposite the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was rebellion against God. Abraham didn't build a tower, he built an altar. Opposite to that tower. With, God, with Abraham, God got a man that had his image and his expression. You can go through the whole story. When you come to Samuel, the same thing. God's, the ark was carried off by the enemies into the camp of the Philistines and put into their demon temple. That was God's expression, the ark of the covenant, the ark of the testimony. Samuel rose up, brought in the kingship, brought in God's authority, brought back God's expression. The same is true today. Today, rebellion rules and reigns on the whole earth. This is the age of the church, but the church has failed. The, the church has failed. I don't mean the local churches. I just mean the church in general. And so God has called the overcomers. Brother Nee said this. You'll read it in your cabin time that God's eyes have left the church, they are now, it's now on the overcomers. It's on the man-child. His eyes are all together on this dispensational instrument. So we need to see what... Let's just keep going. Image indicates God's express... Did we read Romans 3? Let's, did we read 3? Let's, uh, let's read 3 together. From the beginning of the Bible, we can see. Image and dominion. Image indicates God's expression. Expression is a matter of glory. Man was created in God's image for God's expression, for God's glory. Dominion is a matter of the throne and the kingdom. Man was given God's dominion over all the earth for God's authority and kingdom on the earth. See, sisters, read it. Man's failures... We need to realize what is happening in the universe. Note this, underline this. 
we need to realize what is happening in the universe. Then we will easily receive a burden and we will realize that in the present age, God needs someone to rise up to turn the age as Samuel and Daniel did. Okay, let's go on. Four, go ahead, read that. With the man... Okay, I'll try to wrap, finish this up in a few minutes. You need to know what a Nazarite is. A Nazarite is someone who has dispensational value to God. When we go through, to beginning tomorrow morning, the story of Daniel, you will begin to see in a picture form what a Nazarite is and does. But Understand the principle of a Nazarite. It is this. The priesthood was ordained by God, and it was initiated by God to be a family. Aaron and his sons were the only ones qualified to be the priests in God's, of God's people. So if you were not born in the family of Aaron, you could not be a priest. You could not maintain God's testimony, nor take care of his glory. You were just an ordinary uh, Israelite. That was God's ordination and God's initiation. But God opened up a back door. In Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through, I mean Numbers 6, I believe verses 1 through 6, there is a provision. God makes a provision so that if the priesthood ever becomes degraded, people, it says there, a man or a woman could become a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite is not ordained by God or initiated by God. A Nazarite is initiated by man. That means if you're not of Aaron or his sons, the only way for you to participate in the priesthood was to be a Nazarite and to become a Nazarite. It means you have to initiate it. And this has happened uh, in many age. Samson was a Nazarite. Samuel was a Nazarite. Daniel and his companions were Nazarites, real Nazarites. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. This happened all the time because of a particular need. Now, there's another part of this that you should, you should try to understand. And that is, why would anybody volunteer for that? Think about it. How would you even know? Does anybody know on the earth today, does anybody know that God has a need? And who cares? Who cares about God? Who cares about God's need? Who cares about God's expression or God's dominion? Nobody cares. Everybody just cares for themselves, for their own life, their own happiness, their own vanity. Yet God has this eternal purpose. It is the driving force of the entire universe. What this means is that there are people who somehow enter into the very heart of God to the extent that God's heart and their heart become the same. They become a photo, a duplication of God's heart. They feel what God feels. They want what God wants. Oh, they long for what God is longing for. These are the ones then that will voluntarily consecrate themselves to become the Nazarites. Do you see that? Nobody would do this. Nobody would think to do this. And nobody would care. Sisters, this weekend, 
even as we prayed, we want the Lord to bring us into his heart. We'd like him to make his heart's desire the desire of our heart. We would like our inward parts to become a photo of the inward parts of God himself. Imagine if you had God's feeling. Daniel did. That's why Daniel did what he did. And that's how he could do what he could do. Without that, then all you have is notes in a notebook or all you have is teachings. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. The people that know God are not like that. They don't have any rules. Not like that. They're, they're driven and guided by the heart of God, which has become impressed into their being. There's no religion here. There's no rules here. Godmen. Just Godmen. Well, let's finish reading. A, a Nazarite was to abstain from wine and anything related to its source, signifying that he, we, we must abstain from all kinds of earthly enjoyment and pleasure which lead to lustful conduct and lustful intention. Once you've entered into God's heart and become one with him, you're through with the world. In fact, let me tell you a secret. Short of that, you can never get out of the world. You know, you think we come to the conference, don't be worldly, don't be worldly, you're too worldly. Look at you, you're worldly, you're worldly, worldly, worldly. Oh, she's worldly. Oh, look at him, he's worldly. Everybody's worldly. We're all worldly, worldly. The only way to get out of the world is to get into God's heart, get into his being. And you know what? There is within you a revulsion because you know the destiny of that world, that age. You eat it, you become it. And then you become the destiny of that. We'll see that tomorrow. A Nazarite, B, a Nazarite was to let his hair grow long, signifying that we must remain in subjection to the headship of Christ. You know, Samuel never cut his hair once. Imagine that. Do you think that looked nice on a guy? How long do you suppose it was? Do you think it was on the ground? His beard? I mean, I mean he, he, must, he must have looked like a bear. Here comes Samuel, you know, his hair... His face, his beard, rah. <laughs> Do you know what that means? You know, for a woman to have long hair is a symbol of subjection. It's a glory to a woman to have long hair because it implies that she's under the headship of her husband. And this is beautiful in God's order. And for a man to have long hair, the Bible tells us, is a shame. But what that meant was is that the Nazarites to God are altogether female. They are weaker. And they're all altogether under subjection to God. They let their hair grow out as a glory to him as a, as a female. Now, I don't know how the brothers feel about that. I have no problem with that at all, being a female to God. I don't think the brothers should have a problem. The second thing about, about this is not just to be in subjection, but there's a certain shame that you bear. I mean, you, it doesn't look good. It's embarrassing. To be in subjection to Christ is embarrassing. Are you okay with this? Some of us have a, have a rule, never, ever embarrass me. Mom, drop me off a block away from the school. You embarrass me. What about Christ? Doesn't he embarrass you? How many of you walk on campus like this? Well, you know. 
Why? Well, embarrassed. A Nazarite is okay with bearing the shame for the Lord. See, a Nazarite was not to be defiled by the deadness that comes through natural affection. Sisters, among many of us is a kind of a natural affection. This kind of natural affection is a friendship. And this friendship will spoil your, your Nazarite vow. You can't be faithful to the Lord and have this kind of natural affection and natural intense friendship at the same time because the Lord will say it's time to go to pray to the meeting to read the word and then your friend says let's go to the movies and you can't say no to your friend because you've built up this kind of natural affection and now that spoils it brings in deadness and death to your consecration it doesn't mean you're not close to people. You can have real companions in the Lord. In fact, tomorrow we'll see this. We have to have real companions in the Lord. But it's not that kind of friendship. And D, a Nazarite was not to touch anything dead so that he may not be defiled. The most hateful thing in the eyes of God is death. Do you know that deadness is more defiling than sin? A Nazarite gets a real nose. He can smell death. You know, in the world today, there is a lot of corpses everywhere. All those actors on television, they're corpses. They stink. There's all kinds of death. After just being there a little bit, you're dead. You can't pray. You can't call. You got into some death. Well, this is all we have time for tonight. Let's read Romans uh, 5 together. We'll stop. The young people must This kind of people are those who few persons. That means not many. Sisters, not many are going to go this way. It's going to be a small number. In fact, the Bible prophesies 144,000 out of 6, 7 billion people. When he, gets, when he gets those people, he comes. Okay, tonight... Be sure, I know you got to get settled, you got to move in, get settled. I still hope that you can take 10 minutes to read through this cabin material. It is very good and it's very important. Okay?